Do any of you here know Dr. Harder? Well, one, so I can't pretend to be him. Um, my name is, uh, and, I, and many of you probably know Christine Burney, whose name is in the program. Uh, I'm not her either. Uh, my name is Gene uh, Lutz. I'm, uh, uh, I, I don't have a Ph.D. I don't even have a PharmD. I do have an RPH. Uh, but I'm a pharmacist who's uh, involved with uh, the Christian Pharmacist Fellowship International. And I'm also involved with uh, FIP, the International Pharmaceutical Federation, uh, as part of the leadership team for the community pharmacy section of the International Pharmaceutical Federation, or FIP. So uh, I don't, I guess, I guess I have some expertise in some international relations. I'm not so sure that my expertise is so great in, in the uh, understanding of uh, counterfeiting, uh, medication counterfeiting, but I have had discussions in the last few years with, with people from Africa and other parts of the world, particularly uh, third world countries where, uh, where they report uh, huge problems with counterfeiting, and we're going to talk a, a lot about that. We're going to use Dr. Harder's slides, and uh, I, all, I admit in advance that I may not have answers for questions that you may have, uh, but we'll do our best to, to answer those, and there may be others in the audience who might be able to assist me with that as well. And uh, uh, you saw a gentleman up here a few minutes ago who, uh, who came and did a really nice thing for me. He, uh, he asked if he could pray for me for today, and, and I said yes, and he did, and so uh, uh, so we'll ask God to, uh, to bless this session and, and uh, be with us as we uh, study what is going on in counterfeit medications. You see uh, Dr. Harder's uh, website and also uh, his email address there. I'm fairly certain that if you have questions that can't be answered today or would like further information that you can email him and you will, uh, you will get some answers for that. Uh, please let me know if you're having trouble hearing me. I, I, it sounds like there's plenty of sound coming out, but if, uh, if not, just raise your hand and let me know. So let's get started. The objectives of this presentation are on the screen there. We, we want to look at some examples of, of drug counterfeiting. Um, we want to note that this isn't, we're, not, we're not in a witch hunt to try to find out who the bad guys are or the good guys are. I think that will become fairly obvious. Uh, but we're going to talk about counterfeiting in general, how big the problem is. We're going to talk about uh, uh, counterfeiting of drugs specifically and the size of that problem and the impact that drug counterfeiting has on mortality and morbidity. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, levels of con counterfeit prevention, how you can uh, assist in preventing counterfeit drugs from, from being used and some types of interventions for each of these kinds of things we just talked about. We're also going to talk about some of the laws in the United States and, and the Western countries on, uh, on the stopping the counterfeiting of drugs. And then, uh, uh, to be honest with you, I don't know what this last point means, a confession about the slides. Um, so I have to tell you that in going through the slides, I spent a little time, and I, I had a little trouble understanding a couple of them, so some of those aren't even in here because I didn't understand what they were talking about. I didn't want to confuse you since I was already confused. But I think the essence of it will still be here, and we'll, uh, we'll learn a few things about it. This first is an example that, uh, that Dr. Harder gave of a, 
of a, a two-year-old boy who was rushed to a hospital in Kenya. Uh, he was having uh, febrile convulsions. The, he, he was taking a drug called Cotexin. I would try to pronounce that. Anybody here wants to pronounce it for me, they could, but I don't know if I can say dihydroartemisinine. That's about as good as I'm going to get it. Um, he wasn't seeming to get much response, so more doses were administered. Um, and finally, after administering this drug for, for some time, this little boy died. They then investigated the drug and found out that it was counterfeit. There wasn't anything in it that was, uh, was doing the, the antimalarial job that it should have been doing. It turns out it was manufactured by a Chinese manufacturer who did recall all of the, uh, the medication and replace it with, uh, with a, a different packaging program. If you look at uh, this is just a picture of the packaging, uh, the one on, on the right is the genuine Cotexin. The one on the left is the counterfeit one. Um, I don't know about you, but if I were looking at this, I wouldn't have a way really to tell which one was correct. So what did we learn from this? Well, obviously, consumers need to learn how to uh, how legitimate drug packaging appears. Uh, again, I, based on those that picture of those two two uh, products, it would be hard just to, to to learn it from just looking at those. And there's a note here that says this is true for all merchandise. I mean, drug counterfeiting isn't the only counterfeiting going on. And in a minute, we're going to talk about some other types of counterfeiting that are also happening, just to give you an example of of where of what's going on in the world with all sorts of counterfeiting. Um, one of the biggest indicators that something might be counterfeit is how much it costs. That sounds sort of crass, I guess, but uh, if if you have a brand name drug, those those of you who are pharmacists would know that a brand name drug will have a certain pricing, and that pricing isn't going to vary a whole lot uh, because the manufacturer is going to control that pricing. Well, if you see that drug with a price that's you know half or less of the drug. In this case, the difference was it was only 20% for the one that was being used. Uh, that ought to send off flags right away that that drug may not be the real thing. This next one probably is an easy one to say. I'm not sure how well that would work in a, in a society where, where there's very little uh, money to be spent on drugs, but the suggestion that consumers, those of us who take drugs, need to be aware of that, that we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't discount our our, uh, uh, our pricing so much that that it, uh, for the benefit of just saving money, because we may also be be uh, uh, providing serious problems to uh, the patient or the person that receives that drug. Governments need to be more involved in this, particularly in in developing countries where there are very little, there is very little uh, oversight. Uh, many many countries in the world don't have FDA-type organizations that examine drugs and have rules for how those drugs are used. So there need, there need to be more laws and regulations. And this is coming from someone who's pretty conservative and says, I don't want government telling me what to do. But this is a situation where that's a legitimate reason for government to be involved. And then funding of enforcement agencies needs to be in a place for uh, in order to put those laws and regulations into practice. The World Health Organization, this is a staggering statistic, but 
World Health Organization estimates that upwards of 2,000 children die daily. I mean, we're not talking about yearly. We're talking about daily as a result of taking counterfeit anti-malarials alone. That's just a, you know, I didn't even try to multiply that out to see what, what that means in a year, but uh, that's an incredible number. The products that are most likely to be counterfeited in many of the third world countries are those that you would expect. Things like anti-malarials, HIV drugs, uh, probably more so in the developed countries are things like recreational drugs, uh, drugs for the erectile dysfunction and those kinds of things. We, uh, Those of us in the U.S. Have, have had experiences or at least heard of experiences uh, of those drugs being counterfeited more often because in the U.S. people are more willing to pay for probably recreational types of drugs. Counterfeit animalarials may contain no active ingredient, uh, keeping in mind that some, some counterfeit drugs might contain some active ingredients, but, but it's usually not significant enough to be of any use. They also may contain things that mimic some of the actions of anti-malarial drugs. For instance, Tylenol in a drug that's supposed to be an anti-malarial. Well, when you give Tylenol, we all know that's going to help reduce fever. So at first it might seem like it's doing something, but it's really not. It's just giving temporary relief from high fever, and it's certainly not, that's certainly not going to help that patient in the long run. Um, qualitative assays won't obviously detect if there's just a smaller amount of the drug. It'll say this drug's there, but it won't necessarily tell us how much of it's there. And, of course, a quantitative assay is considerably more more complicated to do, especially in areas of the, of the world where, where laboratories don't have the, the expertise or the, the, uh, uh, the facilities to do that kind of assay on a regular basis. Um, and as we all know as pharmacists, uh, those of you who are pharmacists and other, other medical professionals, we, we, uh, uh, we don't want to give people subpotent drugs. Um, you know, we're used to telling a patient when they take their, start their antibiotics that they need to continue them to finish it to make sure that they don't develop resistance. Uh, same thing can occur in counterfeit drugs that have small amounts of it because it's, it's giving just enough for the organisms that are being treated to, uh, to develop that resistance. And so even when they do get the real drugs, they may, not, may no longer be able to be, uh, they'll be resistant to them. We do have some examples of some, some counterfeit drugs in the United States. Many of you remember a couple of years ago there was a, uh, a major recall of some heparin products that were produced in, in uh, China. And uh, it's estimated that there were about 80, 81 people who died because, as a result of those tainted heparin products. Now, they had heparin in them, but the manufacturer in China, without telling anyone, had changed uh, one of the excipients that they used and didn't let, didn't let the FDA know, didn't let the company that was distributing the drug know. And uh, so, so there's an example of a drug that had the right active ingredient in it, but it didn't have excipients that would allow that active ingredient to work in, a, in the correct way. And I, I vaguely recall this myself. Some of you may recall it otherwise. But there also was a, a report not too long ago about pet products containing melamine, which when tested, will test as an amino acid, but doesn't obviously work the same way and cause some serious problems for, uh, uh, for a lot of pet food manufacturers in the United States. 
So how do we define a, a counterfeit medicine? The World Health Organization defines it as the deliberate or intentional criminal nature of the mislabeling or the mislabeling of a product. For example, labeling a proprietary or brand name product as a proprietary or brand name product but not having either anything of the ingredients in it or perhaps the labeling itself says it's one strength when it's actually another strength or it's one item when it's actually some other kind of item. One of the things that certainly with our patients we need to be aware of is patients sometimes confuse the word generic with counterfeit. I know that all of us have had experiences like that where we've talked to a patient and they say, well, I don't want any of those, gener those, those, I don't want any of those generic drugs because they're not the real thing. Uh, so, you know, we, we understand that generic drugs are equivalent if, if they're if they go through the proper uh, regulatory system, they're equivalent to the, to the, or the brand name drug in bioequivalence and purity and uh, are labeled pro properly. The U.S. Department of Justice has, this is one of those things that obviously was written by an attorney uh, because, <laughs> because it's a little difficult to understand, but it, it starts, it, and it's not even the whole thing, but it's the basic part that ha has to do with, with uh, uh, drug counterfeiting. This is all types of counterfeiting, but it applies to drugs as well as to other things. Whoever intentionally traffics or attempts to traffic in goods or services and knowingly uses a counterfeit mark or in connection with such goods or services or intentionally traffics or attempts to traffic in labels, patches, stickers, wrappers, badges, emblems, medallions, charms, boxes, containers, cans, cases, hands, you know, just, in other words, just about anything um, of any type or nature knowing that a counterfeit mark has been applied here to the use of which is to likely cause that it goes on and on. But the point is there's there's a there's a, a lot of a lot of verbiage and language in the rules and regulations in the United States and in most uh, developed countries that tell people what a what a counterfeit is. Um, the, the, the second part of that also talks about the uh, something that is counterfeit if it's if it looks like it's identical with or substantially is indistinguishable from a mark or registered on the principal register in the United States Patent and Trademark Office, whether or not the person doing this knew that that was the case. That seems, that's a little, a little scary. If you were the guy, in other words, you were a distributor of something like this and you haven't taken the appropriate precautions to figure out whether this is real or whether it's not, uh, you may have a problem. An ethical drug is, a, is one in which the dosage form, you know, the tablets, the capsules, the liquid, contains the amount of drug specified on the label. Uh, this, is, this is the main concern that everyone has when they talk about generics. And, you know, we've, again, we've all been through processes where we've had to defend the, a generic product to a patient because of this misconception that somehow, because it doesn't have the original brand name on it, it's not real. Or uh, it's also, uh, let's see, all low active ingredient dosage forms are counterfeits. Now, what, the, what that means, what I interpret that to mean is that it, it's labeled, say, with 500 milligrams of something, but it only has 100 milligrams in it. Or it's labeled with, you know, one milligram and it's only 0.5. If, if it's labeled incorrectly, it's a counterfeit drug, even if it has the right drug in it. Does that make sense? 
So, what's the impact of, of counterfeiting? This is kind of a, just a quick uh, thing to show you that we're not alone in our medical profession having counterfeiting. Uh, certainly, medicines, the risk of prolonged morbidity uh, to death. But if you have counterfeit airplane parts, mean, may mean more maintenance or it might mean crashes. Uh, if you have auto parts, this is just some examples of the kinds of counterfeiting that have been found in auto part manufacturers, probably the secondary market, where people are selling brake lines that are made of, of things that are not stable. Uh, transmission oil made with dyed oils. Oil filters made with rags, used rags to, as a filter element. You know, all of that doesn't sound like it might be quite as serious, but it could be. You know, if your brakes fail, that could be a problem. Um, and then the last part says that the studies have shown that about 90% of the profits from counterfeiting of all types is linked to organized crime, drug trafficking, and terrorist activities. It's estimated that $1.3 trillion in global, sa global sales uh, for counterfeiting, and, and we're I think that that's talking about all types of counterfeiting, not just drug counterfeiting. I hope so, because that's a huge amount of the drug counterfeiting, if it is. And that's up, uh, that was in 2008, that's up 25% from the, just a year previous to that. That represents about 10% about of the, world, the world's gross domestic product. That's a big number. Uh, in the United States, it's, it's estimated that that costs U.S. businesses about $300 billion a year. And, and is, has the effect of job losses in the U.S. of 750,000 people. This is all pretty uh, germane to us in the U.S. right now because of all of the problems we have with unemployment and, and huge numbers. You know, until a few years ago, most of us had never heard terms like trillion. Uh, but but we're, we're well aware of uh, how big that is and how much that is. Um, co copyright piracy alone is about $9 billion losses to U.S. companies every year. So how about counterfeit drugs? How big is that problem? It's estimated that 8 to 10% of worldwide uh, medications are counterfeit, about $48 billion in sales. And it's expected that this year, that will be probably in the neighborhood of 75 billion or about a 50% increase uh, over the last few years. Now, I don't have a lot of personal uh, knowledge of this, although in, in my in going to FIP meetings, the annual meetings, we, we have uh, pharmacists from all over the world who come to those meetings, usually about 3,000 pharmacists. Um, and depending on where we go, depends on how many people we have from, from a third world nation. But we always have pharmacists from Africa, uh, from, uh, from other uh, developing parts of the world or, or undeveloped parts of the world. And when you talk with them, they all say that their biggest problem isn't training pharmacists. It isn't getting people to go into the field. It isn't uh, finding opportunities. Uh, it's not being able to be assured that the drugs they use are real. Um, this says 50% or more. Uh, some of the pharmacists that have talked to me have told me that they routinely assume that one out of th two out of three of the drugs that they have are counterfeit. 
I mean, they just make that assumption. And I've, I've asked them, well, how, well then how do you deal with that? Well, they just kind of do the best they can. They, they, uh, uh, they, they complain because they, can't, they have no way to verify whether drugs are real, whether they're not. They sometimes have to just take a chance and try it and see whether they get results. You know, that's certainly not a way we would like to practice in, in, in our medical professions, but that's really what, what happens to them. Um, I know there are, are pharmacists among you who, who've been in mission situations, and uh, probably for the most part, if it's short-term mission things, you've probably been involved in taking the medications with you or being able to get them from a source that you're pretty well assured is, is uh, legitimate. But for those people who live in those countries, uh, they don't have the mechanism or the means in many cases to do that. It, it's it's a it's a be a real difficult way to practice pharmacy. In Western nations, we don't have we don't have that kind of huge disparity in, in terms of the number. I mean in the United States the estimates are between two and ten percent. Um, you know, I've been in practice for quite a few years and I, I would say that I don't know if I've ever been in a if I've ever had drugs that were tainted or counterfeit. Most of the recalls that we get for drugs in our in the United States are are for other reasons. They're for uh, poor manufacturing practices or those kinds of things. Uh, but all of us are familiar with all the recalls that happen, and I'm sure some of that is because they're not certain of uh, of the integrity of the drugs and uh, want to be sure of it. Then we have the problem with Internet pharmacy. Um, that's a problem in a lot of different ways. But many of the Internet pharmacies operate outside of, of the legal systems within the, the countries in which they ship drugs to. They, so they don't have any uh, constraints. They don't have any reason why they have to worry about what their sources are. Uh, if you're a country that doesn't have any laws on, on how how your drugs are manufactured that, that have, to, have to meet any particular standards, uh, but you can buy things really cheap there. The Internet pharmacy has no incentive to do anything but use those because they're a lot cheaper. They can make more money at that. There are a couple of, couple of or at least one way, that you can be a little more assured of mail-order pharmacy, uh, and that's a, a program that's put, put out by the... Uh, uh, NABP called a Verified Internet Pharmacy Practice Site or VIPs. Those pharmacies that have been have gone through that process, um, uh, you can be be pretty well assured that they have done all the things that they are required to do to be uh, to do uh, uh, provide legitimate pharmacy services and products and products that have been gone through some kind of <coughs> excuse me some kind of uh, uh, regulatory system so that you can be assured that they're correct. The problem is there also are some other organizations out there. Uh, the one that, that uh, uh, Dr. Harder suggested or showed is just an example called PharmacyChecker.com. The, uh, the theory behind this uh, website is that that's uh, a, an organization that supposedly checks Internet pharmacies and tells you whether they're legitimate or whether they're not. Apparently, though, that some of the uh, ones that have been purported to be legitimate actually have had investigations done. And it, there's a note here that 
that CNN did an investigation of one of those called Pharmanet.com, and uh, this is one that's shipping drugs to all those 50 states in the United States, has only one license in the United States, and is in violation of virtually every state dispensing law. Um, there also have been other investigations on several, uh, well, people looking at advertising on Yahoo and Microsoft. We're not blaming them particularly, but just that the advertising there. So 80 to 90 percent of the ads from those drug sellers uh, are, are drug sellers who are, are shipping medication to people without prescription. Now, that's not necessarily counterfeiting, but it, it's just one of the problems that you face in trying to verify whether your drugs are pr- right or not. Yes. When, when you said, uh, talked about the VIPPS, the verified internet pharmacy practice sites, you mentioned they were licensed. Who are they licensed by? Well, I don't understand the, the, the complete way that that works, but the NABP, the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy, administers that program. Isn't that correct, Susan? Susan's my NABP expert. Uh, but they administer the program, and they have a whole series of of regulations that they require Internet pharmacies to go through in order to receive that designation. I, I don't know all the details of it, but I know what the, one of the things that they do, they require them to be licensed in any state that they ship to. They require them to, to uh, adhere to the same kind of standards that my pharmacy would have to adhere to in terms of who I buy drugs from, uh, the, the manufacturers that and the distributors that you buy from have to be ones that have passed, you know, are licensed and have passed FDA, FDA and, uh, and pharmacy license laws and regulations. So uh, that was the intent of the, of the program. And I know there are a number, I don't know how many there are, but there are a number of them that are licensed uh, to, uh, to do that legitimately. Can you add anything to that, Susan? So it, it, yeah, it, Luigi says it's it's basically a certification process to to uh, designed to assist consumers more than anything to understand that if if this pharmacy has this designation, then NABP is saying or the VIPS program is saying you can be you can trust that they're doing the right thing under the rules and regulations that exist. Uh, and while that's not directly uh, counterfeit. Uh, prevention because they're then operating under the laws and licenses of the states that they're shipping to, they, you, we, we should be able to assume that at least there are no more counterfeit drugs coming through that system than there are through any community pharmacy or institutional pharmacy. Okay, thank you. I don't know what this means, so we're going to go on. (laughs) I mean, I don't know where that came from, but um, so let's look at see what's going on with with uh, counterfeiting. And this slide says that counterfeiting is on the rise, and you can see it's a little bit fuzzy, 
but you can see that there's there, just from 2006 to 2007, there's been an increase of 24% in the number of reported counterfeit, stolen, or illegally diverted drugs in that one year. And that's looking at 112 different countries, 639 branded generic and OTC drugs. Um, the FDA Office of Criminal Investigation continues to investigate cases, and you can see... Uh, uh, I can't quite read that on my slide. I don't think you can either. But it's just, just showing that it's been, while there have been some ups and downs, it's the, the number of cases continue to increase. So the problem is not getting, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. This is, uh, this is a slide that's got some preventions that were put together by uh, Blessings International. Uh, and these are ideas or ways that they're suggesting uh, are solutions to the problem of counterfeiting of drugs. Uh, first of all, active pharmaceutical ingredients uh, should have a certificate of analysis. Uh, I can tell you that uh, uh, while I'm not in the manufacturing business, I am in the compounding business, and even in compounding, we, we uh, have been uh, either, either through accreditation or through uh, state regulations have been... Uh, constantly upgrading our the, the products that we buy or the way in which we buy products. For instance, every, every raw chemical that we buy now, we, we are required by most regulators to have certificates of analysis of that product so that we have a, a, at least a, a one guarantee that it is what it says it is and it's been, and these are quantitative analysis, not qualitative, so we have with every batch that we buy of a particular thing, we have that. And uh, this, is, this is the same thing for pharmaceutical ingredients in products. Um, active pharmaceutical uh, ingredient panel of impurities. Again, I'm not sure exactly what that means, although I think what they're referring to is are there a drug may have the proper amount of its active ingredient, but I want to make sure it doesn't have impurities in it in addition that, that are dangerous or a problem. Good manufacturing practices of the pharmaceutical manufacturer. Uh, you know, FDA requires all manufacturers, whether they're United States manufacturers or whether they're Indian manufacturers or whoever they are, to adhere to good manufacturing uh, uh, principles. And uh, that's one of the reasons why FDA, you know, you'd think that they'd only investigate people in making drugs in the United States, but they they investigate Chinese manufacturers and Indian manufacturers and uh, Middle Eastern manufacturers. They're they're going all over the world to to uh, make sure that the manufacturing practices of those companies are what they say they are or what they should be. Um, there's a lot of things that also can be done, such as uh, the excipients and the tablet coatings are all USP impurity. In, in other words, again, it's another step in the process that we make sure that all of the ingredients that go into that drug product are have high quality that's expected under the United States Pharmacopeia. There, it's also suggested that uh, tablets particularly be, be imprinted. Uh, now you might say, well, anybody can imprint tablets. Yes, that's true, but it's... The more, the more imprinting and intricate imprinting that there is, the more difficult it is for the counterfeit manufacturer to 
to replicate that. So that's just one more way to check that. Um, finished product certificates of analysis must meet USP requirements, and we kind of talked about that already. But things like you can have, it's certainly possible to have the right amount of ingredient in, in a product, but it doesn't dissolve for some reason because the excipients that they use don't allow it to. Well, we all know as medical professionals that there's nothing, a, a drug that doesn't, doesn't dissolve or get into the system is just as worthless as one that wasn't, there wasn't any drug in at all. So it's just as bad as having that kind of a, a problem. Um, and also the suggestion uh, by Blessings is that manufacturers' certificates of analysis should be confirmed by independent laboratories to make sure that their own testing is doing what it should be doing. Um, then tracking uh, devices uh, from the manufacturer to the United States, particularly for those drugs that are coming and here we're talking about drugs coming into the United States, but that's really true, should be true of drugs all over the world, that there should be some tracking system to, to make sure that there's an integrity to that product all the way to the final user. Um, and then packaging and the proper kinds of, of, uh, of packaging, that bottles that uh, will, will uh, maintain the stability of the drug product or, uh, or be, uh, be completely... Um, impervious to moisture or air or whatever other things that could have an effect on that. And then lastly, labeling uh, that, that meets all the regulations by the, by the regulators, in this case the FDA. These are some things that are suggested, and some of these things are going on already in the United States with drug manufacturers. Um, Security-coded, tamper-evident tape seals, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of technology from, uh, from uh, uh, coding and barcoding. You know, we're, we're all familiar with barcoding, but there are all kinds of other technologies, embedded kinds of, uh, um, I don't know what you call them, these little chips that get embedded in things. And, and then there are special labeling kinds of techniques that have use holograms or uh, are... are easier to spot or, or, or difficult to, to replicate because they have embedded in them things that maybe can't be seen by the naked eye but can be seen only by an electronic reading device. So there's a whole bunch of those kinds of things. I know that there are some pedigree-type programs going on uh, where, where a, a manufacturer's product will, will, will have a, a, a trail a trail set up to keep track of everything from the point at which it's left leaves the manufacturer to the point at which it gets to the the distributor. Um, I don't know whether that's extended to the final user, the pharmacies, but uh, but at least if you're buying from a, a manufacturer or a wholesaler that has that kind of a program in place, then their products you can have a pretty good feeling and understanding that they are what they say they should be. These are just some of those uh, kinds of things. We're talking about um, barcodes with serialization. I suppose that means that every every code every code is is uh, is identifiable one by one. Every bottle would have its own uh, own uh, code that could be kept uh, could be tracked all the way back to the beginning. I talked about holograms, uh, specialized inks that 
are only uh, that will reveal if they're they're a, a counterfeit if if they're looked at under certain types of lights, ultraviolet light, those kinds of things. Um, I don't know what an intaglio ink is. I assume that that's one of those kinds of things that that will uh, allow you to uh, see whether it's uh, it, it is a, a counterfeit or not. Uh, embedded labels, microtext. There's in fact I think there's a picture of that here in a minute where you might see a label and it, it looks very readable, but if you were to look at it under a, a high a, a, not a microscope but just a magnifying glass, you will see. Uh, words or letters that identify it in a certain way. Uh, many drug counterfeiters might not even realize that that's there, might put something that looks like that, but then looking at it, it would, wouldn't reveal that, that's, that writing. Um, encrypted barcodes, synthetic DNA, nanoparticles, these are all kind of high-tech stuff that I don't really understand, but we all, I think we all can intuitively understand that it, it gives gives the, uh, uh, the people that are making these products and the, the distribution channels that are distributing them the ability to track and make, keep track of all of that in a way that makes it much more difficult for counterfeiters to, uh, to, uh, to market their wares. Well, here, here's an example of this uh, micro, micro printing. Um, And, and again, we're just talking about some of the things like the the uh, chain of custody, authenticating things. They're uh, difficult to duplicate certain types of labels, specialized inks, specialized cartons and packaging. Anybody know what the word tagant means? I'm not sure what that word means. Don't have any experts in the room that know what that. Ron, do you know what that means? I think it might be where they can actually tag something with a radio frequency label. Okay. And, and so it can be tagged in price with that. Well, that sounds like as good an explanation as any. And so if if uh, if it's not the right explanation, it make, it makes sense. <laughs> um, Size comparison is another way. Sometimes uh, drug manufacturers, counterfeiters are are not uh, they're not the smartest people in the world. But in many of the places where they do counterfeiting, they don't have to be because the the consumer of the product maybe doesn't know any better. Uh, you and I, as uh, as as healthcare professionals, and those of you that are pharmacists, would know. We would see right away if there were differences in, in, in size of tablets, for instance, in a product that we were used to using, and all of a sudden the size changed and we're, there wasn't any explanation for it. We would have a question about it right away. But if you're in a third-world country where, where uh, you, know, you get products from all sorts of different places, they would be, they would be likely to be different consistently. So seeing a small, slight difference in it might not make any, you know, you might not even question whether it's right, real or whether it's not. Let's see. This one? I can't, you know, I can't quite read the, read the, the, uh, 
the size here. I'm not sure if it's it's trying to trying to show us the difference in micro, like a microcrystal size. I, I I don't know the answer to that. I apologize. I I just don't. I'm sorry. Is it supposed to be a pill on the penny or what? I think they're showing the size capability of the tags. The two. That's that's the top of the two. Yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay. Did you hear that? Yeah. He's he's saying that 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 uh, this is a part of the two on the penny, and these are these are tags that can be put on on drugs that and so they're very tiny. Uh, they wouldn't be able to be seen by the average person. You'd have to have them under a microscope uh, or a very high-powered uh, magnifier to to be able to see them. And I assume that that's another one of those uh, that micro tags that very, 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 very tiny, but it, but it's a way to identify uh, legitimate drugs as opposed to counterfeit ones. And here's kind of what I was talking about. These are these are all all drugs that theoretically are the same thing, but they're all kinds of different sizes. Uh, and counterfeiters are are. Uh, you know, I, I suspect that some counterfeiters have relatively small operations. I mean, they don't have sophisticated laboratories. They don't have sophisticated manufacturing processes. Uh, so they're going to make make things basically with whatever basic equipment they have. You know, most of us, it, those of us who went to pharmacy school probably remember, uh, well, some of us who are older who went to pharmacy school probably remember making, actually making tablets using little little presses and, and uh, pressing them into a, a particular uh, a size system. Well, I would suspect that counterfeit manufacturers probably use some of that same sort of basic technology, and so they might not have the right size mold, so they make it in whatever size mold they have. Colors and those kinds of things are other things that are, you know, a lot of this is getting pretty technical, and I that's, that's why I can't answer some of your questions. Uh, but there are a whole lot of things that manufacturers can do using colors, using dyes, uh, and various kinds of identification procedures to make to make it more difficult for counter- counterfeiting to occur. Some of these things would only be visible on spectroanalysis, those sorts of things, which, you know, if I was a pharmacist in, in uh, Africa trying to figure it out, I wouldn't have access to those kinds of things. I, well, I don't have access to those kinds of things in the United States, so <laughs> it wouldn't be any different. <clears throat> These are just just more examples of, of ways in which the kinds of things that can be done to help identify legitimate drugs from illegitimate ones. He goes on to talk about forensics, and really that's this is all about forensics when it comes to Identifying whether a, whether something is real or whether it isn't, they, all of these different techniques are designed to do just that. Uh, but they need to have somewhere in the background there needs to be uh, either the manufacturer or the or the regulations need to be able to to um, specify what those things are so that there's a way to to track back to the manufacturer.
There's another one of those slides. I have no idea what that means. And if anyone here does, you can you can enlighten us. There are some uh, some new new technologies, and uh, I'm, I'm just going to tell you about them, but I can't really explain them. Uh, certainly. Uh, uh, Nanotechnologies, we all understand that nanotechnology is very small. It's basically molecular size technologies that, that are uh, certainly not visible to the, to, the, uh, to the average person and needs, needs certain kind of sophisticated equipment to, to do it. But, uh, but if manufacturers can utilize that, then there's a way at least to find out uh, after the fact whether, whether it is real or whether it's not. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that might be able to be done legislatively and regulatory-wise to, uh, to prevent counterfeiting. There's a bill in Congress uh, called H.R. 2627, which would authorize the FDA to require drug manufacturers to use anti-counterfeiting technologies. It would require them to, uh, to remove a stay that was placed on paper pedigree requirements, which was, you know, this is almost well, more than 20 years ago when that stay went into effect. It gives the FDA authority to recall medicines similar to the recall authority for faulty medical equipment. Actually, I thought the FDA already had the right to recall medications. I'm not sure. But maybe they can only recall them for certain reasons, and maybe they can't recall them for, uh, for uh, uh, counterfeiting reasons. I'm not sure. It would mandate that drug manufacturers alert the FDA within two days when they suspect that one of their drugs has been counterfeited. And it would authorize funding for spot check enforcement. It would also authorize uh, some money to educate public and health care officials on how to identify counterfeit drugs. I'm not sure that would be adequate to educate everybody on those for $5 million a year. Um, it would authorize the FDA to issue subpoenas and so forth, and, and it would mandate increased criminal penalties for them. In California, uh, they, the California Board of Pharmacy has pushed for legislation that would require a drug be serialized at the unit level, the bottle. So, in other words, every bottle would have, in, in addition to having things like lot number, expiration date, it would also have a unique serial number that could identify that all the way back to the manufacturing process. Um, the pedigree document would start at the manufacturing and continue all the way through to the pharmacy. So uh, anytime there was a question, you would be able to follow how that drug was manufactured and all of the processes up to that point. Um, California's uh, uh, bill apparently was viewed by the industry as a push to get the federal government to create some kind of a law. The federal government hasn't created any laws like that. So California, and I don't know if there are any other states, I think I, think I was told that Florida has, has started some pedigree uh, legislation as well. Uh, I'm not completely sure of that, but I believe I heard, heard that that was the case. And uh, they, those states are doing it because the federal government hasn't been so quick to get involved in it. Um, the, uh, the legislature, this says Governor Arnold Switz, I think they mean Schwarzenegger, <laughs> well, um, it was signed by him. 
but it pushed back the the, uh, the beginning of that law to do that serialization so that it won't start until 2015, which is, you know, as we know, another five years from now. These are the things that this law will do. It requires them to, uh, by 2015, have a minimum of half of their products subject to that. By January 1st of 2016, the rest of their drugs. And I believe that this this is not just for brand name drugs. This is for all generic drugs, branded drugs, which means... uh, uh, you know, all the all the manufacturers in the world that want to sell products in California will have to comply with those rules. Rules. Um, after July 1st, anybody who isn't doing the pedigree program would be prohibited from selling, trading, or or transferring a dangerous drug into California. And after July 1st of 2017, a pharmacy uh, in California would be prohibited from doing the same thing. This is just some more examples, and it's talking more here now, not so much about the drug itself, but about the way they're packaged and labeling, uh, those kinds of things. There's the ubiquitous iPhone. So apparently there's a technology for the iPhone to help you uh, combat counterfeiting. So according to researchers, Drug counterfeit drug counterfeiters are, are using more and more new tactics to sell counterfeit drugs. They're they're starting to use some of these same techniques that we just talked about that have been used or are being used to to prevent counterfeiting, but they're getting more sophisticated uh, and using some of the te- same techniques, uh, and that that's a little bit scary. It's kind of like it is in most uh, most legal situations. You know, uh, every time you pass a law to prevent something, somebody figures out a way around that particular law. So we have to constantly be on our guard. Counterfeit drugs also, most counterfeit drugs by counterfeiters now are containing at least some of the active ingredient, which is a way to kind of, if you're just doing qualitative analysis, then, you know, that may be a way to get it through the system without it being discovered that it's counterfeit. Um, There are also... uh, Many of those drugs, of course, as we talked about before, also contain toxic ingredients, which in and of themselves may be a problem. And uh, as a result of all this, drug manufacturers are beginning to respond with more security approaches and more ways to to thwart the counterfeiters. There's just an example there of, of uh, how fake drugs are getting more sophisticated. So if you're interested in that, you could go to www.safemeds.org. Despite the risks involved, lots of people turn to online pharmacies and and other ways to get cheaper drugs. So, you know, the, the, the mantra is, well, if I can go to Mexico and buy my drugs cheaper, why not? Why don't I do that? I mean, we, we, we've all had that issue. And it's, it's a problem for the United States because of those kinds of things. But think how much more it's a problem for the developing developing or underdeveloped countries where they don't have even the, the basic uh, governmental regulation and oversight to, to guarantee that the, the legitimate stuff is, is good. Uh, and and uh, it, it just it, it makes it almost an insurmountable problem for those, those, uh, those countries. The U.S. Uh, Food and Drug Administration you know, issues these advisories and tells people 
and oh, don't buy drugs from these illegitimate sources. Don't do this. But the problem is we all want to get what we buy cheaper. And, you know, we, we might think as professionals that we're immune to that, but I suspect we're not. We, you know, if, we can, if I can get this product over here cheaper, I'm going to do it cheaper. Uh, and so the same, same logic behind that is what drives the counterfeiters to put out product because they know that they're going to be able to sell it to people who want to find a cheaper alternative. Uh, there are some things that the FDA suggests is that, you know, if, if uh, someone tells you that an FDA or if an FDA official contacts you by phone asking for money or other forms of payment, I mean, I, I think most of us would probably say, well, that's a, a no-brainer. We would never respond to those kind of things. But, uh, but nevertheless, FDA agents and other law enforcement officials are not authorized to impose or collect criminal, criminal fines directly only that has to be done through the courts the european federation of pharmaceutical industries and associations um, has is doing some of the same things that are being done in the united states they're doing some uh, um, some pilot projects that specialized coding and uh, uh, to, to try to reduce the kind of uh, counterfeit instance but as you can see if you look further down that slide it says that just in a, in a two-year period, they had the number of counterfeiting instances they had in the Europe went from 202 to about 347. Um, the, the United Kingdom also has reported that incidents affecting regular distribution chains have steadily been increasing each year with counterfeit medicines reaching patients on nine occasions. The, uh, the European organization has been partnering with pharmaceutical retailers and local wholesalers on this coding system. And I, I guess it's a little too early to tell how that's going to be going to work, but they seem to be a little further ahead than the United States is in that project. In Mexico, you know, our neighbor to the south, we, uh, uh, it's estimated that their illegitimate Mexican pharmaceutical industry is estimated at $1.9 billion a year. 12% of the, of the legitimate market, and that counterfeit drugs account for 80% of that. Okay. That's all that I have. Uh, if you have questions, I'd suggest that you uh, contact Dr. Uh, Dr. Harder. And I thank you for your attention, in spite of the fact I couldn't answer all your questions. <laughs>